What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. All right, it's good to be back with you guys, Cloud, and we're continuing on with Judges. Uh, We're in the middle of the story of Gideon as a judge, so we're in chapter 8 today. So that his story takes the place of uh, a few chapters here. And so just to familiarize yourself, if this is your first podcast in the Judges, we're going verse by verse because uh, this is the tail end of Joshua. We, we spent the whole church together going through Joshua, and Judges is the follow-up to that. And it's about these cycles. Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. It was halfway obedience. They started to mix with the people around them that they were supposed to drive out. They didn't obey. Now they start to worship the Baals and the other gods and abandon God who saved them. So they sin and God lets them sin and they get worse and worse. And then he raises up that those enemies to be a thorn in their side, to be a sign of discipline. And then the people cry out and they're like, save us. And so God raises up a judge, these deliverers, and then it saves the people. But then they get worse after that salvation. After there's peace, then they get worse. And then that cycle just repeats over and over again. Sin, crying out, judge, rescue, worse sin, crying out, judge. All right, you get, you get the picture. And so today we're continuing on with Gideon, who has been just this interesting character who's got tons of nuance that we could debate for days and days, whether he's a positive character or, or kind of a villain. Well, I think he's both. Um, and, and we're going to see that the cycle is starting to change today. Now, instead of the downward spiral of sin happening after the judge in the time of peace, we now see that downward spiral begin with the very judge himself. Gideon is an imperfect dude. He has great qualities, but he's also just an ugly leader. <laughs> and we're going to see the beginning of that here today in chapter 8. It's a shame because we saw his story in the past few days. He's this weak dude that the Lord's like, hey, mighty man of valor, step up and into this leadership position, and I'm going to use you. And he had such great promise, but uh, it it doesn't matter necessarily how we start. It's about how we finish. And so here we're going to see the middle of his story, chapter 8, this downward spiral. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, what is this that you have done to us not to call us out when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grapes of the harvest of Ebiezer? In other words, he's saying, My clan is the little one, and Ephraim was this big clan. And they're mad at him for not inviting him to this war. And and now uh, Gideon is kind of flattering them, right? He says, My, my tribe's little. Verse 3, God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him was subsided when he said this. So again, Ephraim is this strong clan, Gideon with his 300 minutes from a lesser one. Now we see kind of this clan rivalry and this disunity within the nation of Israel. Verse 4, And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over he and his 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, now, that's also a tribe in Israel. The men of Succoth, hey guys, please give loaves of bread to the men who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmona, the kings of Midian. 
And the officials of Succoth said, Well, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmona already in your hand, that we should give bread to you and your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmona into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns in the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel, that's also a tribe in Israel. And he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Verse 10. Now Zeba and Zalmona were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. Which is pretty amazing, because Gideon only had 300 men. Verse 11. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jogbahah and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmona fled, and he pursued them and captured those two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmona, and he threw all the army into panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harry's. And he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials, the elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmona, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmona already in your hand, that we should give you bread? And he took the elders of the city, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and the briars with them, and taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of that city. Gideon is killing his own tribesmen and punishing his own family. Verse 18. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmona, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As are you, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So we just found out that Gideon's brothers were killed by these two kings of Midian, and that is the true reason why he's been chasing them. Verse 20, So Gideon said to Jether his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zalmona said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmona, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on their necks of their camels. So again, I, I'm sorry I couldn't read that whole thing and not make some comments, but you see this picture here that uh, God had raised up Gideon as a judge for you know national salvation to to protect and redeem his covenant people, you know, this national deliverance. But instead, what we kind of see, if we, if we look at the details really closely, yes, it's a victory. It is that. It is a national deliverance. He, he destroys Midian, and it's this miraculous victory. He has such a small number, and he takes on these huge, you know, 300 against 20,000 or more. Uh, but we see that it's not really about national deliverance. It's not really about God's plan for Gibeon uh, because we see that they killed his brother. So it's really about personal vengeance. It's his deal. And, and we see this just really ironic story, this nuanced story of this guy who was weak and afraid and God called him and, and said, hey, you're going to win this victory and I'm going to show you it's going to be me. And they originally had a lot more warriors, but God's like, no, nope, send some of them home. 
uh, 300 is going to be the right number because it's not enough. And then that way you'll know that I'm the one that wins these victories, not you. And then it gets to his head. Gideon starts taking matters in his own hands. And we see just by, by the details in the text, he's starting to wear out his 300, you know, so it's obvious that he's doing it in his own power. Anyways, a lot of this story is narrative and speaks for itself, but I did write a couple points, really just one point, and kind of to apply this to our lives. So number one, sometimes success is the worst thing that can happen to us. That's what uh, sometimes, right? Success is obviously good, right? Sometimes success is the worst thing that can happen to us. It really is. And if you think about... We could go all day long on this podcast if we we're talking in person. I know. Hey, we're talking with each other, right? We could go all day long if you and I were to trade uh, stories of leaders or bosses or you know people we've seen in our lives, uh, people throughout history, like presidents and, and world leaders and commanders of armies and all that. We could go on all day, probably longer, uh, just focusing on the on some ugly leaders. You know what I mean? Like failures throughout history. And so, I mean, I, I'm thinking of several, right, off the top of my head. That's just really easy. So I, I, we've done enough comparison to contemporary things lately for the time being. So I'll, I'll skip past that. Y'all know, and you have that in your head, that just that leader that turned ugly, right? Maybe they started out strong, but they didn't finish well. Boy, that's <laughs> that happens in the church all the time. And so I think... One of the elements, and I say one, there's plenty of elements, but one of them is that success ends up being the worst thing that happens to certain leaders, right? Because success has the ability to confirm maybe some of our flawed beliefs, right? I did this. We saw that in last chapter, you know, uh, the Lord's like, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to win this victory. And then Gideon's like, uh, cry out this war cry for the Lord and for Gideon, like, and me too. Like, I did this. And so many times in our life when we have success, it's easy. You know, obviously failure is hard, right? But the thing about failure is that it humbles us and it causes us to, to reach out for God if we do it in a healthy way. The, the, the same thing should happen when we're successful. But the problem is we tend to just forget the fact. We start to walk in the fact that maybe, well, I really did this in my own power that I'm capable. And it's such a hard thing for all of us, all mankind, myself included, to, to reject the notion that I am in control. <laughs> and we know that. We're not ultimately in control. And so when we have success in our life, we, we tend to think that I did this for the Lord and for me, right? And so that's the huge danger. Another danger of success is that we tend to look down on others. Uh, you know, in Gideon, we see, you know, he, he's he's kind of a strange guy. I mean, he's probably a little more like you and I than we would at first glance guess. Uh, but in his behavior, we, we see kind of uh, like scope of the way he behaves. So at the beginning of chapter eight, the men of Ephraim, that's one of the biggest tribes in Jerusalem, right? They're ticked off because he was chasing these two Midianite kings and they were invited late to the party, right? So they want some of the glory. But Gideon is, you know, he, he's intimidated by them because they're bigger than him. Their tribe is bigger and more reputable than his own little tribe. And so he's intimidated and he, you know, he, then he starts to like smooth talk them. He's like, oh, you're, I'm nothing compared to you, right? But then 
when he comes across these maybe weaker tribes who don't really want to get involved in the conflict because they're afraid, you know, if, if they're seen helping Gideon and his 300, that the men of Midianites might rally and then attack them for being part of it. So anyways, they're these weaker tribes. When Gideon comes up to the weaker tribes, he's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And he actually like whips them with briars and thorns. And then he actually kills his own countrymen and destroys the tower, the, the tribe of Penuel. He killed the men of the city. That's verse 17. So man, what a just huge range of ways that this guy has turned really ugly. He's intimidated by the bigger tribes, and then he's just mean and domineering over these little, little tribes. And so don't we do that in our lives? I mean, you look back to how teenagers treat each other in high school, like, and that's kind of replicated uh, over the years. This reminded me of uh, another quote I saw the other day on my social media by Tim Keller. It's a great quote, and it popped in my mind when I was reading this scripture. And so he said, we tend to find deficiencies in others where we feel we are strong. We tend to find deficiencies in others where we feel are strong. Pretty soon in our lives, in, in, in certain areas where we have success and other people don't, we start to act a little ugly, don't we? We start to act like Gideon. Uh, you know, we could see this at the gym, right? Guys look down on people that aren't, aren't, aren't as healthy as they are. Well, that's where they're strong at. And so they, they have successful success in their life. And Or maybe people in business or all that look down on other people who maybe aren't as savvy or, or wh whatever it is. There's tons of examples we can think about all day long. And ultimately, you know, it may be a cliche now, and I really don't know who, who came up with this quote, but I know we've all heard it, that this famous cliche, it's like, don't let success get to your head, right? Don't get a big head and don't let failure go to your heart. Well, Gideon, man, he is the exact representation of doing just those things. He's the little guy. He's hiding in the wine press. He's letting his, his, his weakness define him, and he's letting it get to his heart in a way that he's just really not confident who God's called him to be. But then when he has success, he lets it get to his head, and he's just this real ugly figure. And now we see the, the, the cycle in Judges is starting to change. It's starting to get worse. The spiral is happening uh, sooner with the leader itself. That ultimately points, again, we have to point to Jesus, where his failure, being crucified, is a failure in the world's eyes. Right? It's easy to find a deficiency in that. It goes, well, I'm not being killed. That's, that's a dumb way. Like, if, I, if it was up to me... Uh, I would attack my people that were attacking me, and I would sack Rome, and I would have a political victory. But no, Jesus uh, walks in what, what humans would think is failure, and that is his ultimate success. So death and dying for his enemy procures the ultimate victory. Jesus breaks the cycle. Thank God we don't have Gideon. Thank God that we have Jesus. Hope that is encouraging you today. Stick with it. We'll continue on with Judges back on Monday. Y'all have a great day. Thank you guys for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. As always, we hope that you heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk and reflect Christ in your everyday steps. To find out more information about New Vision, you can go to newvisionlife.com or follow us on Instagram at newvisionlife. Again, we're for you. We love you. And we look forward to seeing you back here on Monday.